people of God, let's turn in our Bibles to 2nd and 3rd John. One of the few times in our lifetime we'll read two entire books as our scripture reading. And 2nd and 3rd John found right at the end of, almost at the end of your Bibles, on page 1214, 1214. I want to read both, even though we're focused on 3rd John 4, John's letter to the churches of Asia Minor, or letters, speak of the same truth, but on two different angles. One is to reject false teachers who stray from the truth and to welcome and support true teachers and all brothers and sisters in the faith. Second and third John, page 1214. The elder, that's the apostle John, to the elect lady referring to the congregation. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Third John, the elder, again, John the apostle, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Gaius is the pastor of one of the churches of Asia Minor. We don't know which one. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, that is the name of Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Verse four, congregation, verse four. If you could just look at that, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want to look at that verse in the context of second and third John. So I invite you to keep your Bibles open there. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, one of the greatest joys Christians experience in this life is when they get to see their children and grandchildren walking with the Lord. One of the heaviest burdens Christians carry in this life is when they see children and grandchildren not walking with the Lord. And John the elder, John the apostle, feels the same way about his congregation at Ephesus or a neighboring one. We're not sure exactly which one, where Gaius is the pastor. He feels that same way about his congregation. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. They're not his biological children. They're his spiritual children. He gave them birth, or God did through his ministry of the gospel. And then he trained them and raised them through the ongoing ministry of the gospel and the sacraments. So you've watched them grow from babies in the faith to grown-ups in the faith. He's taught them, trained them to walk in the way of the two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's old. This is likely written around 90 A.D., Maybe even later, one of the last letters. He's old. Reaching the end of his life. And he's thankful to see that the congregation has stayed the course after all these years. Maybe it was 40 years ago he planted this church. We don't know. And they're walking in the truth. And he says, I have no greater joy than to see that. We want to look at three things. The truth. The challenge. And the delight of this no greater joy. The truth. You notice the definite article. Remember grammar class? Indefinite. A. Definite. The. The. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And that's referring to the teachings of the Bible. The truth as it is in Jesus. To see the truth of the Bible as a network 
covering Genesis to Revelation, a network of truths all attached to and clinging to the central truth, Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. It's a package. We exclude nothing the Bible teaches, but it's around the center of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul refers to the truth as it is in Jesus. What's the truth? Let me give sort of a brief summary. God made the whole world and he made it good and he made us in his image, male and female, so that we might honor him, give our lives to him and follow his commandments. That's why he made us. Second truth, but the human race rebelled against God in Adam and Eve, our first parents, and now we're under a curse. We've got this sin problem. Calvin's got this sin problem. We have a sinful heart and mind and feelings and life to the core. And we need a redeemer. We're under the sentence of eternal death, damnation, unless God rescues us. And thirdly, there is a redeemer. God sent his eternal son to earth, clothed in our flesh and blood. He became a real human being, body and soul. So he could stand in our place and take our sin upon himself, take our guilt and make it his own, take God's punishment that we deserve and make it his own and perish in our place so that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. Fourth truth, on the third day, Jesus rose physically from the grave to become the author of life, to give the power of new life to all who believe in him. Jesus is the Christ, next truth. God's one and only son and is the only way to salvation, the only way back to God. There is no other way, no other religion, no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And those who depart from that and say, well, other religions also can get you there, they lie. That's not walking in the truth. Next truth, the Bible is Jesus' inspired word. It's inerrant, it's infallible. Absolute authority for our lives. The final word in every issue. And you can't say, but I, no, no, no. But the Bible. But, not, no, 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 not but I, the Bible. It's our job not to conform the Bible to our desires, but to conform our desires in life to the Bible. Next truth. Jesus fills us with his Holy Spirit when we believe to empower us to follow him and live according to his commandments. Those who love Jesus love his commandments and strive to walk in the way and they confess their sins when they break his commandments and when somebody points out to them, you're walking in error. You're not believing the truth or you're living an immoral life and then We humble ourselves and repent and we trust that our sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit will enable us, empower us to walk the new way. And the last truth, whoever believes in Jesus and follows him will be taken into eternal joy and glory, the glory of heaven. When Jesus comes on the last day to take us into the new creation, but whoever does not believe in Jesus and does not follow him will be condemned to eternal punishment. There is a heaven and there is a hell. They're both real. And the only way to escape hell, the only way to enjoy heaven, enjoy God forever, is by trusting in Jesus Christ and offering your life to him. 
And John delighted to see that. It gives me no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. That you're vigilant in it, that you hold on to it after these years. And that they're not only confessing it, but they're walking in it. Sometimes our talk and walk don't match. Some will say they believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't follow him. As Jesus said to his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I command? No, I rejoice that you're walking in the truth, not just confessing it. They were walking their talk. Now, no Christian perfectly walks his talk. We're all imperfect. We all have inconsistencies. And then John says in 1 John 1, we must confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you say that you're not inconsistent or don't see your inconsistencies in your own imperfection, you lie and the truth is not in you. But it's one thing to be inconsistent and, and strive to walk in the truth and confess your sins when you don't. It's another thing to be a hypocrite, and that's what is the problem. I have no greater joy. It gives me no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And then you can have those who talk the truth, but they don't walk the truth. They say they're Christian, but they don't live it. And instead of repenting for their sins, they hold their heads high in pride. They defend themselves. They make excuses for their actions. And they continue to live in sin. Live for themselves. And not live for Jesus. And not serve his family, the church. That's what it means not to walk the truth. But John delights to see his children walking in the truth. And John says, you've proved it in two ways. First, you have not entertained false teachers. If you look at 2nd and 3rd John, that's the way they have proved that they're walking, they've not entertained false teachers. They held on to the truth even when there were false teachers wandering around from house to house. That is house church to house church. Preaching falsehood. One of the common falsehoods in John's day, in the day 2nd and 3rd John was written, was Jesus did not come in the flesh. He appeared to be flesh. He looked like it. You know, you might press on him. Yeah, that feels fleshy, but it was not real. Flesh and blood are yuck, and God would not take on yuck ever. That was the false teaching. No, no, flesh and blood are created by God. They're beautiful. They're good. And Jesus took that on for our salvation even though we've fallen. But that's what they would teach. He didn't take on flesh and blood. It looked like it, it felt like it, but it wasn't. And then John says, they, they don't have the father or the son when they deny the truth. But John says, you have not entertained these false teachers. Remember 2 John, or yeah, 2 John 10? If somebody comes to your house, your house church, and wants the pulpit, but does not hold to the truth, don't welcome into your house. Don't give him a greeting or you participate in his wicked works. They wouldn't. And he's thankful. He's thankful. 
The second way they show they walk in the truth is that they do support the true teachers. The teachers of the truth who follow the teachings of Christ's apostles. He says in verse 7, even though some of these teachers are strangers to you, they go out in the name of Jesus and you support them in whatever way you can. He says in verse 5, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. And verse 8, therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You, you join the ministry of the gospel by supporting the teachers of the truth and brothers and sisters in the truth and committing your lives to them in the body of Christ to serve them and help them according to their needs. I rejoice to see you walking in the truth. You don't entertain false teachers and you do support those who bring the truth. Jesus said that if you welcome those who bring my teaching, you welcome me. If you don't welcome those who bring my teaching, you're shutting me out of your life. That's what Jesus said. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And isn't that what we delight in as church and in our families, brothers and sisters? We see our children holding on to the confession of Jesus Christ in truth, not being pulled away from him by false teaching or by immoral living. Isn't that why we teach God's people the message of the Bible and why we teach our children the truth of the Bible? Because we want to have this no greater joy. And that's why John, the apostle, the elder, has invested so much in the churches of Asia Minor where he has pastored. He was willing, even we read in Revelation 1, to face exile and imprisonment, to stand up for the truth. It cost him a lot. But he did that for the sake of God's glory, the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of his children in the faith. So they would follow his example and yield nothing to those who would pull them away from the truth and stand firm in the truth. John was willing to live for the truth and even die for it and that's what we're called to as well. We don't know what Calvin and his generation will face, but I have a sense that before revival comes to our country, and God may well bring revival and a return to the truth in our land, but I have a sense that before that comes, and this is not a prophecy, that Calvin and his generation are going to face a lot of heavy hits for the faith if they stand up for the truth, right? It's going to get worse. And we're going to rejoice when we see them take, when they're younger, that first stand for the truth and be willing to suffer abuse for the sake of the name because Jesus' name is so incredibly important. There's no life without his name. Jesus says, we'll look at that this afternoon, even if you die for my sake, you've gained your life. But if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it when you lose me. Secondly, the challenge then before us. 
Are we walking in the truth, brothers and sisters? It's a question for all of us. Single, married, male, female, younger, older. Are we walking in the truth in an age where the truth and a culture where the truth is hated? And you'll be hated when you hold on to the truth, not your own personal truth, the truth of the Bible. We holding on to that, the truth as it is in Jesus. Are we walking in it? And are we living it out every day so all who see and know us know that we're serious Christians? We're so devoted to Jesus and so devoted to his church that no kind of promotion and no kind of threat will get us away. Are we known that way in the neighborhood and in the workplace and in our families? That we're willing to suffer and take abuse for the sake of the name. And when we do see that we have sinned and somebody points that out, do we show that we're a people of the truth by being sorry for our sin and wanting to make it right? Are we walking in the truth? Well, John the elder places that challenge before Gaius and all pastors and all elders and all deacons and all church leaders to lead the congregation in the truth. Elders, pastors, deacons, do you have no greater joy than to see your children, God's children, the church, walking in the truth? Also your own biological children, adopted children. That's the call to us as leaders. By example, my example as a pastor, encouragement by being willing to rebuke and correct those who are going off the path. Is this my delight and my joy? That's the challenge before me. As Paul says, you have to go teach the gospel publicly and from house to house. Because savage wolves will arise and try to devour the flock and gobble up the people of God and spit them out and destroy them. But are we directing God's people to the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ? It places a challenge before us as parents, too, that we train our children to believe in Jesus and to walk in the truth. Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the what? The discipline or nurture, training, and instruction of the Lord. And mothers are called to walk alongside dads in this. This is a teamwork. Fathers are the heads, and so the command is given to them specifically, but mothers join them in it. Are we willing to invest in our children in this way? Because often, when our children are young, they don't want that. Are we willing to work overtime and surround them with Christian instruction at home and take them faithfully to church? 
and every day at school and to work overtime praying for them, congregation. If we have no greater joy than to see our children walking in the truth, that's the challenge that's placed before us. That's our highest joy. Not that Calvin makes the football team. He may seem a little small for that now, but then again, Alex, you were smaller at one time too. Right? That's not our greatest joy. Oh, they may make the football team. They may have a great career. They may live a comfortable life at a decent salary. They may have lots of friends, but these ought not to be our greatest joy. They can be bonuses along the way, but not our goal for them. I have a sad story. Some years ago, I spoke to a dad who called himself a Christian, but he was the issue. And here's what I wanted to talk to him about. His greatest joy was his child would make the high school football team like he did when he was in that high school. But praying with his son and for him, teaching him the Bible, taking him to church, having him taught the truth didn't matter to this dad. I don't want to push religion on him, he said. But he would gladly push football on him, taking every opportunity to throw football with him and teach him the plays already when he was a preschooler. Because that dad, you see, showed his heart, his idol. I have no greater joy than to see my son be a football star. But this dad, John the Apostle, shows us the right heart of a dad and a mom and brothers and sisters in the church. The heart of Jesus, who who wept when Jerusalem turned its back on him and desired to see that all would come to him and find life and be followers. This dad, John, the heart of Jesus, the true shepherd, I have no greater joy than to see my, walking, my children walking in the truth. No, we can't make our children believe. I know that. That's why we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can open Calvin's heart and make him believe. And make him believe in a way that he really wants the truth of the Bible. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't make them believe. But we can and must lead them into all the truth whenever and however we can. Fathers, bring them up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. That that takes firmness, strength. Here's another dad, Moses, and his children, the Israelite congregation, who had the same heart. For God says to him, and he's to tell the people, these commands shall be on your hearts, the truth of the Bible. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you go along the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That command, Alex and Sam from Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Commands of God, the truth be on your heart, and that you make sure that you teach them diligently to Calvin when you're sitting at home and when you're outside the home going along the way and when you lie down when you rise up that that you surround his life on every side all the time that it's never to be a neutral zone in his life where 
where the word doesn't matter. This great dad, Moses, reflecting the great father, God, had that same desire for the children of Israel. May that live also in us, the heart of the great shepherd. There's a democratic trend, congregation, in parenting today, which is very harmful and very painful to see. And it's the idea that you're not allowed to make any choices for your children. They have to decide everything for themselves. Whether they will go to church, leave that to them. Whether they will go to Sunday school or catechism classes, that's up to them. Which school they want to go to, whether they will go to youth group, and on and on and on. It's up to them. The key is, what does my child want? And I will not make any requirements. And you know where this goes. It's even leading to the point where parents teach children that they have, the cho- have to choose their own lifestyle and their own gender identity. No, don't leave that to God. And you know what stress that puts upon kids? It's oppressive, an oppressive burden to them to be told that you have to decide your own way. When God has put them in the age where, no, no, parents make choices for them. So let's not put that on our kids. If we have no greater joy than to see them walking in the truth, let's lead them down the way of that truth and do everything we can to support that truth and guide them in it. And yes, when they reach the age of discretion, they need to take ownership of that and make that their very own by living faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's the challenge. And just briefly, the delight our calling to lead them into the truth, to direct and shape them. Yes, when they grow up, they'll have to make it their own and it will give us no greater joy when they do and we'll praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who adopted them as his children in his covenant of grace. And we'll praise God the Son who died for them on the cross and rose for them to wash away their sins and give them new life. And we'll praise God the Holy Spirit who makes his home in our children's lives so they may know and believe and walk in the truth and choose this God to be their God. Well, may God give all of us that sweet pleasure and great joy congregation to see our children walking in the truth. And if at this point, your children are not and they're reaching an older age if at this point you know the very heavy burden of children and church family who are not walking in the Lord's ways continue to pray for them the Lord will reach out to them reach out to them wherever and whenever you can that they may yet turn to the Lord before it is too late And they may die to themselves and give their lives to walk in the truth. We have an amazing God. We have a powerful God. There are times when we sort of give up. Don't. Don't ever give up. While there's life, while there's breath, there's hope. Why does John have no greater joy? Well, 
because there is no greater joy than walking in the truth. There is no greater joy, congregation, than to see your children believe in God and be comforted that all their sins are forgiven. There is no greater joy than to see them want to become like Jesus Christ and grow in all the fruit of the Spirit. And there's no greater joy than to see our children want to seek God's kingdom, want to see Christ's kingdom come at work, at school, and at home. And are not afraid to stand up for him. And want to make disciples of all nations. There's no greater joy than to see that living in them, is there? That's the top. That's the best. There's no greater joy for us than to see that they love the people of God in spite of the weaknesses of the body of Christ. And they want to see the church of Christ built up and they devote their lives to that. And there's no greater joy to think that when Jesus comes back, they will go into the joy of glory in heaven and we'll see them face to face. We'll see Jesus face to face, but also our loved ones. And they'll get to spend eternity with him in the new creation. There's no greater joy than to see that and know that. Wonderful. Let's pursue this joy. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your work in our lives, in our children's lives, in the congregation where Gaius pastored, where John pastored, in our congregation, in all the congregations of the Lord Jesus around the world. No greater joy than to see your children walking in the truth. Help us to want this joy in our lives, to pursue that joy for our children too and for one another. We look forward. Lord, we look forward to that day when we can see our children walking in the truth, but above all, where we with all the household of God may honor and praise you in the joy and glory of heaven on earth, the new creation. What a day that will be. May none of us be missing, Lord. May none of us be missing, be at work in our lives. In Jesus we pray, amen.